0: Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 51, a great prayer that was prayed by David when he was confronted by God with his own depravity, with his own sin. This is one of the great prayers of Scripture. And I would commend it to you, not just to read it, but to memorize it. Memorize the whole psalm. We'll read from Psalm 51, verse 1 through verse 12. David's prayer begins. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Plot out my transgressions. Did my mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in this secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken. Rejoice! Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then our New Testament reading is from Luke 18, beginning to read with the ninth verse. He, he being Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be Exalted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The late John Newton, when he was dying, the, the former slave trader and the vile man he was was asked if he had anything to say, and he said, I know two things. One is that I am a great sinner, and second, that he is a great Savior. His mercy is so much more than our vilest and most wicked of sins. We're going to be looking back at Luke chapter 18 in just a moment. And looking at one who is under the weight of the vile sin that he knows he bears. And one who is mistakenly confident that he does not bear those sins. So before we do that, I want us to pray. And you have a responsibility as a congregation. You have a responsibility both to pray for the one who preaches and to pray for yourself as you hear. Hear. Hear the Lord's word as it comes from his mouth. Let us pray. Our Father, we're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful for the manner in which you have provided for us through our Savior Jesus Christ. We're thankful for you, O Holy Spirit of God, who have taken his sacrifice and applied it to us, that you've given us hearts of flesh that beat spiritually alive and that you bring us to a place of worship. We pray for those of our congregation who struggle against these Against these bodies of flesh, we are so thankful that our brother David Mattingly is with us, and we're thankful that you have answered and heard our prayers and given him this time to fellowship and worship with us. We pray for his strength. We pray, Almighty God, that you will do your most splendid work within his body. Lord Jesus, when you walked upon this earth... There were times when you touched, physically touched and healed. There were times when you spoke and healed at great distance. And there were other times when you simply told those who sought healing for their loved ones to go home for their loved one was healed. We pray for the healing of David's body, and we pray that you would Give him the strength of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray as well for Donna McManus. We pray that you would give to her uh, strength in her body and give her a overall condition that would allow her to have the surgery that she needs to relieve some pain and bless her with your strength. We thank you for your your. Attention to your son in John Sartell, and we thank you that you have heard our prayers for his protection and his healing. And we thank you again for his leadership of us. We also pray, Almighty God, that you would be with David and Carolyn Gish, their daughter, Suzanne. We pray that the child that uh, she will be, by your good pleasure, bearing in this, in this week, that the issues that have been warned about would not be true, that they would be able to have a safe delivery and a healthy child, that you would bring this child into this world, that, that he would follow you, that he would be changed within his mother's womb, and that you would fill him with your spirit. Bless them. I pray that you would be with Suzanne and with Alec and that you would comfort them with the knowledge that as much as they long for this child, that this child is safe in your care. We ask for that in the name of our Savior, Jesus. We also pray for those who struggle those who struggle spiritually, those who struggle with fears and doubts, would you minister your grace to them? Would you give calmness and security to those who fear? And would you give wonderful comfort to those who are unsettled? Bring clarity where there is doubt and faith We ask that you would do that because you are the only one who can. And now as we look at your word, have mercy on us. Have mercy, Almighty God, upon the one who preaches, and have mercy upon those who hear, that we would hear your voice. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I have a friend who is now at home with the Lord, um, wonderful, crusty, old farmer down in Alabama. He was was always one who would sit on the very back row. He had been an elder for many years. He had been a deacon before that. He taught Sunday school. He knew the catechism backwards and forwards. And he was crusty as the day is long. And he would come in, sit down, and sometimes after the service was over, he would come up to me and he would say, when are you going to come see me? And I would say, tell me when you want me to. He said, we'll come after three o'clock one day and we'll drive around and drink a couple of beers. And I said, okay. And so that would go on for, you know, 10 years or so. And one day, he gave me the same invitation, and I went out to see him. We got in his truck, and we're driving throughout his cotton fields and looking at the crops and seeing what was going on. And we would talk theology sometimes. Sometimes we would talk history. And he stopped his truck next to one of those fields, and he put it the gear and park, and he looked at me, and he said, Brian... He said, I drove home after church on Sunday, and I pulled up, and I had to stop. And he said, I had to cry out to God, oh, Father, I am so messed up. Would you have mercy on me? Only he didn't use the word messed up. He used a much more crusty word that most of us would probably flinch at if we heard it. So let me ask you a question. Would you have corrected his language? Do you find that offensive? That he would be so earthy? You're looking at a man who was crushed by the weight of his sin. And I'm not going to tell you what his sins are. But he was crushed by the weight of his sin. And the only thing he knew to do was to cry out to his heavenly father for mercy. The parable that Jesus told in this passage in Luke 18, uh, it's one of those stories that has has weight and meaning to it simply because of the one who tells it. Simply because of the one who tells it. This is the Son of God talking. This is His perspective. This is what He wants us to know about His perspective. That He says, you can have all things by the, everyone else's standard. They look at you and they go, that's a good person he said, I'm looking at your heart. I know you. I know what you're doing. He's telling this story by saying, he begins, it says, Luke says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is a Pharisee. This is a Pharisee. You, you know, we, we put the Pharisee in a dark, dark light and frequently in our, in our culture. This, we put him in that, you know, the long black mustache and the dark hat, the black hat and the, the music that plays in the background is, you know, dun-dun-dun-dun when he walks in. That's not the Pharisee. Not from everybody else's perspective. From everyone else's perspective, this is the guy you would want to be your neighbor. He wouldn't be playing his music loud at night. He wouldn't have the car that had the the bad muffler on it revving it up right as you were trying to go to sleep. He wouldn't be the one who, who let the newspapers pile up next to his mailbox not taking care of it. He wouldn't be the one whose yard was not mowed. He wouldn't be the one whose children were unruly and causing trouble in the neighborhood. This guy was good. By all the outward appearances, by everything that we would look at and want in a good neighbor, this is the one we would want. But Jesus looked at him and said, no. Why? Because he trusted in his own righteousness and held contempt for those around him. Jesus is telling this parable And we don't have a choice. (laughs) This is one of those where you can't sit back and go, okay, that's them, that's them, that's them. No, we have to figure out who we are. Who we are. You're one or the other. You're either self-righteous or you're broken. Listen to what he says. Chapter 18, verse 10 Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." Johns Hopkins conducted a survey in their psychology, psychiatry department, and according to their survey, over 62% of American adults say they need more forgiveness in their personal lives, 62% say they need more forgiveness in their lives, whether that's from God or whether that's from others, whether it's guilt that they're carrying around, whatever it is, they need forgiveness. This is not a Christian's uh, poll. This is a world poll. This is something that includes a random selection, supposedly, of people. I do realize that at any given time when we're in, in worship that we're speaking to people who are carrying burdens. Burdens for things that they have done in the past. Burdens for things that they have done now, are doing now. Things that they fear coming down the road. Whatever it is, there are burdens. Burdens of guilt, burdens of shame, burdens that we don't know what to do with. So I ask you this, if you don't feel that burden, I ask you this question. Think of that sin, the worst sin, the thing that you don't want anyone to know about. The one that, as we prayed a moment ago, that our lips tremble to confess, tremble to name, that sin... Imagine that you are in this gathering, and you're walking around, and there's a little microphone or a little speaker on you that plays out that sin for everybody to hear, that you can't go anywhere without people hearing this from you, from your existence, or that your sin is indelibly tattooed to your forehead. Everybody. I don't know that I would come. Do you see the sense of that? Do you grasp that? Do you get the sense of, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want to be near. I want to be way off in the distance, nobody around? That was the tax collector. Everybody knew. Everybody knew who he was. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted him around. He was an outcast by virtue of him being a bad guy. He really was a bad guy. He was one whose sin was boldly proclaimed by his existence. He had stolen from these people. He had stolen from all these people. He was not even allowed to offer his own offerings in the temple because they were unclean, unacceptable. How does that feel? The Pharisee comes in. He's all good. He's great. He walks into the temple courts. He comes and he, draws, he takes a stand and he begins to pray out loud. Oh God, I thank you that I, you have not made me like others. You have not made me an adulterer. You have not made me a thief. You've not made me a liar. You've not made me on and on and on. And you've not made me like even this tax collector back over here. Out loud, he's saying it. He's saying what Southern culture would not think was very polite. And he says, I give a tenth of all that I have, all of my income. I fast twice a week. I know what the law says, and I do exceedingly more than the law says. I'm good. And just between you and me, God, you know it and I know it. And I thank you for making me as good as I am. It has a little taste of religiosity to it, doesn't it? You know, I thank you for making me who I am. I'm not a self made man altogether. I am your creation. Look how good you've made me. What do you do with that? We don't say it like that, do we? We don't. But we do it like that, don't we? There's a, the, the old, um, old, the very popular form of door to door evangelism known as evangelism explosion. You would go to people's homes, and they train you with certain questions to ask people to bring them to a place where they would acknowledge that they're not believers, and that you want to give them an opening for you to give them the gospel and call on them to respond to the gospel. I'm told that… I've never done Evangelism Explosion, but I'm told that they, would they go to different people's homes… They respond to these questions like, um, "When you die, where will you be?" And some people will say, "Going to heaven." He said, "Well, why should God allow you into His heaven?" And they begin the list of questions, the list of answers, the litany of good things. They would begin to say things like, "Well, I, you know, I've I tried to do my best. I've I've been moral. I, I pay my taxes." I I don't hit my wife. Um, I take care of my children. I feed my family. I do all these different things. And then suddenly things get uncomfortable and someone says, but if God asks you why he should let you in, what would you tell him? And there frequently people will say, I don't know. I don't know. Ask yourself that question. Just to yourself, you can ask yourself the question, if God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? The tax collector cried out, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The word that he uses there that is translated in most of our translations as, be merciful to me, a sinner, it's actually propitiate for me. (laughs) Make propitiation for me, a sinner. You make the payment. I can't. I have nothing to bring to you. This is what I'm telling you. I am worthless. I don't have anything to bring. I'm crying out for mercy. Would you make payment for me? We have a a doctrine in the Reformed faith that says that our salvation is by faith alone. Faith and the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Christ alone, by God's grace alone, made known to us through the word of God alone, for God's glory alone. You see, we don't have anything to bring. We know that. Have you ever cried that prayer? (laughs) Have you ever come to that spot where you're kind of going, I'm not good I'm actually, if I were to stand before you right now, everything that I would bring before you, you would see as absolute filth. All the things that I would say, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. If you were my friend, I I was ordained a deacon. I was ordained an elder. I've taught Sunday school. I learned the catechism backwards and forwards. I could tell you what it all meant. But I never cried out. Oh, God, I'm hopelessly lost without you. Unless you do something, I'm condemned. There are lots of people like that. There was a revival many years ago that took place in the country of Norway. And in that revival... I am told by those who were there that there were many of the ministers in the churches who were saved. You kind of go, well, what does that mean? It means they were going to hell before that. It means that even though they had done great, wonderful things, that they had preached these marvelous sermons, that they had done all these wonderful deeds... Before they were saved, before they reached the point where they saw that they were desperately in need of a savior, they prayed out to God, Lord have mercy on me for the first time. It is not, it is not as uncommon as you may think. But remember who it is who is telling this parable. The one who is telling this parable is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He's the one who makes this declaration about this tax collector that he went down to his house justified. In other words, he God in the flesh had declared that man righteous. Isn't that amazing? When everybody else in the temple and the, that would look at him and they would say, he is a worthless person. He has stolen all of this. He's done all these things. And yet the Son of God looks at him and he says, he went home justified. He was declared righteous in the eyes of God. Have you prayed that prayer or something like it? where you are able to say, I know, I know I deserve this. There's another Pharisee who did do that, by the way. Look, in your, look at your Scripture sheets and see there the um, passage from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 says, Paul writes in verse 4 through 11, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him." the resurrection from the dead. This is what the Apostle Paul was saying. In essence, he would have been that Pharisee on that day. And he was saying, God, I thank you that I know that I have been circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. You did this for me, Almighty God. I am righteous. I'm a Pharisee. I, as to uh, zeal, I am going to persecute these heretics. He says, I now take all of that, every bit of that. And the, you know, the word that he uses there, that we've, for our own modesty, translated to be rubbish, is actually um, dung. Paul says, all those good things, all those good things that he now considered them as dung, as waste, to be cast out, to be done away with. No value. For his salvation. No value before Almighty God for his justification because he wanted to cling to Christ alone. It's Christ alone. By faith alone. It is him alone. You have nothing that you can bring otherwise. That ought to bring you a great deal of comfort because you never could do enough. You never could have done enough. The Pharisee went home under the weight of his sin. So what, are, what good is the law? What good is the law for us? What good is it? We have, in the Reformed faith, we say there are basically, there are three uses of the law, of the law of God, the moral law of God, that there are three uses. Um, there's, there's one that is what we would consider civil, that. When we look at the laws that are formed in any country, they would be formed as after the model of God's law, that they would be righteous in that nature. And those are good for preserving a a culture, preserving a community, that that it keeps people in line. That's why we have, you know, laws that say you can't murder someone. That's why we have laws that say, you know, don't exceed this speed limit. We're trying to keep things orderly and safe. And without the threat of punishment, people tend to not obey the law. The second use of the law is that it points uh, unbelievers to the cross of Jesus Christ. When they come up against the law, they come to the end of themselves where they say, I can't do this. I have failed this every day in my thoughts and my words and what I do. I fail to do this. And once they, when they reach that point, the point is for them to say, I need someone who did fulfill this for me. And that's when we tell them Jesus did, that he fulfilled it. There is a third use. The third use is found in its usefulness for us, its usefulness for us as Christians, those who, who are believers, that we look at the law and we, it, is, it helps us in our sanctification that we look to it, not for our justification, but that we might grow in our knowledge more and more of Jesus Christ and how He forms Himself in us. We can't disregard the law. But it is not your justification. It was never intended to be your justification. It was always intended to be that which would point you to your utter inability, that you can't do it, that Jesus did do it, and that you live under His righteousness and His fulfillment of that law the pharisee would never have understood David's words particularly at the end of psalm 51 they're not in your on your scripture sheet but listen to what the what David prayed he said for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it you would not be pleased with a burnt offering now the pharisee would wince at that actually because who commanded the burnt offering? Who commanded the sacrifice? God did. God commanded. Yes, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sacrifice, but they missed the point of the sacrifice. The sacrifice would not make atonement. The sacrifice only pointed them to the one who would come and make atonement for them, the one who would make propitiation before Almighty God. That's what they were supposed to depend upon. David got it. David understood it. He said, what you want from me, almighty God, is a broken and contrite heart. You want me to look like the tax collector who sees his total inability and comes before you. You're not pleased with the things that I bring without that. Chuck Colson long ago told a story about how he was brought into a town for a speaking engagement. And after the speaking engagement, there was a dinner. And the dinner was being hosted by a very successful businessman who was at the head of the table, and Colson was seated next to him. And this man um, was, they were having just regular conversation, and Colson, as Christians are apt to do, said said tell me about your faith tell me how you came to know the lord and this man said well i've i've always been in the church i've always been a part of, of a community i was raised up in the church and um i you know and he began to give his litany of successes of his righteousness he began to give them all laid out nice and neat and after a while, Colson stopped, and everybody was quiet at the table, and Colson said, may I tell you that if you really believe that, if you really believe what you have just said to me, you have more in common with Adolf Hitler than you do with Jesus Christ. That's a dinner killer. Um... And it was it was apparent that the dinner was now over. And another young businessman who may have been this man's assistant, he didn't know, looked over at him and he said, Excuse me, Mr. Colson, didn't you tell me you needed to use the phone? And Colson said, Okay, I'm getting escorted out. And so he got up, he left the table following this young man, and they got out into the hallway. And Colson said, This young man turned and looked at him and he had tears flowing down his face and he said, I want what you have. I want what you have. Do you see the difference? And Coulson led him to the Lord. The difference in that The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee believed he had it all and he had nothing. The tax collector believed he had nothing and he gained everything. And he cried out to the only one who could provide him with everything he needed. How would you have responded to my friend as he spoke to you of a prayer in which he used profanity? What would you have said? Well, you know, that's not really how you need to pray. (laughs) Now, I sat there with him and we prayed and I cried and he cried and God changed him. Folks, someone has described this as the parable of the Presbyterian preacher and the IRS collector. One who knows all things well, and one who just is beaten up and beaten down. Do you know him like that? You're you don't have the flashing sign indelibly imprinted on your forehead that lists out your sin. But do you realize that the sin can be wiped away? Have you ever come to that? Even if you're a Christian, you still sin badly. You can still cry out to him. You must cry out to him. He hears that prayer. And by the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the decree was, he went home justified. Another friend of mine years ago told me about his father. He had, this friend of mine had served under and was led to the Lord by Francis Schaeffer, And he was troubled because his father, who had served in World War I, who was dying of cancer in the hospital, was not a Christian. And he had tried over and over again to tell his father about Jesus, and he never could get him to the point where he understood what he was saying. And Edith Schaeffer came to him one day and said, would you like Francis to go and see your father? And he said, I would. So Francis Schaeffer goes up to this man's hospital, this veteran of World War I who had known the horrors of trench warfare, where men do horrific things, who are required to do horrific things, and all of that was indelibly imprinted upon his conscience, and he could not believe that there would be a God who would want him. Schaefer came back and told my friend that his father had, had truly become a Christian. And he began to describe to him, the, him relaying to him the holiness of God and the power of God to save. And then finally he got to the end of the conversation and his father looked at Francis Schaefer and he said, why would a God like that Care anything about a worm like me? Why would a God like that care anything about a worm like me? And Schaefer looked at him and he said, How can a worm like you refuse such a great salvation from a God like that? And he was saved. I pray that you will know that there is a God like that who no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, that he will take you and he will hold you. But you have to come to him on his terms, not yours. This is an old hymn, and we'll end with this. There's nothing either great or small, nothing sinner, no. Jesus died and paid it all long, long ago. It is finished. Yes, indeed, finished, every jot. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? When he from his lofty throne stooped to do and die, everything was fully done. Hearken to his cry. Weary, working, burdened one wherefore toil you so cease your doing all was done long long ago cast your deadly doing down down at Jesus feet stand in him in him alone gloriously complete let's pray Lord have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon those who struggle in this in this existence of life. For those who have not yet seen what you revealed to the tax collector. Would you in your mercy convict of sin? Drive them to your cross, Lord Jesus. For those who have, like the tax collector, cried out, Oh, mighty God, propitiate for me. And yet, when they got home, they found that they still sin. They're surprised by that. Would you bring them back to where they found that wonderful justification in the first place and know that he has died for those sins. O oh, Lord Jesus create in us clean hearts renew right spirits within us that we may rightfully tell of all your great deeds.